You're listening to a podcast series celebrating the 25th anniversary of GINA, the global initiative for asthma. We're in London to interview world-renowned asthma specialists, healthcare professionals and patients, focusing on the issues, objectives and achievements of GINA and to look ahead to the future developments that the next 25 years will bring. And in this latest podcast, we focus on the diagnosis of asthma in primary care and talk to Dr. Mark Levy, who is a primary care physician with a special interest in the management of asthma care. Good morning to you. Good morning. Can I first ask you, what do you think is the most crucial aspect of the role that Gina is playing in the treatment and management of asthma? Genus uh, uh, produces an international document which clarifies the issues around the management of asthma in a very clear way aimed at generalists. The documents have information for specialists, but they can be used by generalists, and that's the, the main focus. And the Gina documents reduce all the scientific jargon and the research findings into practical, useful tables and text which uh, a generalist can use in their daily practice. You're a GP, as I said, with a special interest in asthma care, a primary care position, so you should know. You're right at the coalface. What are the challenges for general practitioners, family physicians, in diagnosing asthma in their practice? The key problem for a, a primary care doctor or a general practitioner is that, first of all, they don't have much time. The average consultation in primary care lasts from five to 10 minutes in most countries of the world. In some countries, doctors have the luxury of a 30-minute appointment. And in that time, a generalist, a general practitioner, has to deal with the diagnosis, worries and concerns of the person, got to do an examination, maybe order some investigations, and then decide on management options, educate the patient, and also arrange uh, follow-up and safety netting. Now, to put that in context, most general practitioners are dealing with over 400 different conditions in an average year. So asthma is only one of them albeit certainly in childhood, one of the commonest uh, of the chronic diseases. And so a general practitioner needs to know basic amount, basic essential amount on each of those diseases that they're dealing with. And they also need to decide when consulted by a patient whether that patient is suffering from a condition which needs immediate action or which can be dealt with over a period of time. Sounds like a very short amount of time that they have to actually diagnose a condition like asthma. So what is and what should be, in your opinion, the process for diagnosing asthma? The GINA document defines asthma. And I'll start there because it's important to understand what's actually involved in the diagnosis. So asthma is defined by GINA as a heterogeneous disease, which is usually characterized by chronic airway inflammation, it is defined by the history of respiratory symptoms like wheezing, coughing, and shortness of breath, which vary over time and intensity, together with variable airflow obstruction. So that sounded like quite a mouthful, but when a patient comes to consult a doctor, they need to be thinking about whether this is a one-off consultation with a one-off illness, or whether this person is suffering from a chronic ongoing illness. And so with asthma, the 
characteristic patterns of respiratory symptoms that a patient will present with include intermittent coughing, wheezing, shortness of breath, or chest tightness, which vary as per the definition over time and also in intensity. But the patterns of respiratory symptoms that are characteristic of asthma and that need to be recognized when a patient consults are, first of all, more than one of those symptoms that I've measured, that I've mentioned, um, especially in adults. So if somebody's got a combination of coughing or wheezing and shortness of breath, they're more likely to have asthma than another condition, provided it's intermittent and, and varying in nature. Symptoms are often worse at nice, they vary over time and intensity, and the symptoms are triggered by a number of different trigger factors, which include viral infections, um, exercise, uh, exposure to various allergic substances like pollen or cat dander or other animal dander, sometimes weather conditions, laughter, um, or irritants like car exhausts or fumes. And so if someone presents with a pattern of recurrent symptoms, especially um, uh, um, fitting the, the characteristic patterns I've described, the doctor needs to think of asthma. So that's the first stage. If you think that somebody's got asthma, then go on, take a detailed history, try and establish whether there's a family history of the disease, because asthma does go in, in uh, families in many cases, particularly childhood asthma, and also um, try and establish what's happened in the past. Has this person ever been treated for asthma in the past or been given medications that uh, could have been used for asthma? and make a provisional diagnosis based on the history that the patient presents. How is the diagnosis confirmed? You mentioned quite a few variables. What does a GP do if the diagnosis is unclear? First thing to decide is how ill that patient is. If they're presenting for the first time with characteristic symptoms of asthma and they're ill, treat that patient straight away. Provide um, immediate treatment aimed at alleviating the symptoms, and then after three to four weeks, bring the patient back, or say one to three months, bring the patient back and do further tests. Now, the further tests involve demonstrating variable airflow obstruction. So first of all, we've got to demonstrate airflow obstruction, and you can do that with two tests. One is spirometry, the other is peak flow. The peak flow is a simple test with a handheld meter which costs uh, under 10 pounds in, in the UK. And over a period of time, by measuring peak flow twice a day, one can determine whether there's obstruction and whether it's varying. There are various ways of calculating the variability, which are detailed in uh, a table within the diagnostic section of asthma. If we've got time, I'll come back to that in detail. But um, spirometry is the other test that we can do. And we're also looking for evidence of airflow obstruction, predominantly reduction in the ratio of uh, FEV1 and forced vital capacity. And then we're looking for variation after a dose of bronchodilator treatment. So the test would be performed. The patient would be given a bronchodilator, 100 to 400 milligrams of salbutamol or albuterol, and then they'd be retested after 10 or 15 minutes. And if the variation is significant, then we've got confirmatory, confirmatory evidence 
which combined with the history uh, provides very strong evidence for a diagnosis of asthma. As I said, you're a GP with a very special interest in this condition. You've had so many experiences over the years. How do you share that with other GPs and health professionals? I do a lot of lectures. I write a lot. Sadly, I've been involved in investigating a number of asthma deaths. I led the UK, the National Review of Asthma Deaths, which published a report in May 2014. One of the biggest problems was the diagnosis was not accurate in many people. And these are in people classified as having died from asthma. 39% of people classified as having died from asthma in that year, um, the year we studied was 2012, had no evidence that they actually had asthma, let alone that they died from asthma. So often people are treated with asthma drugs without the word asthma appearing in the notes. And so a key message that I try and impart and which we emphasize in the GINA documentation, is try and confirm a diagnosis or get as close to a diagnosis as you can, given that there is no definitive test, and document the reasons why that diagnosis was made so that a health professional seeing that patient at a future date can look back at the evidence which was used to make the diagnosis and then decide how accurate that was, whether the diagnosis needs to be reviewed or not. So what are the chances of wrong diagnosis or wrong treatment? They're quite high because, as I said, general practitioners have many diseases to consider. And if a patient comes in with respiratory symptoms, the temptation 20, 30 years ago was very much to prescribe an antibiotic uh, on the basis of a presumed infection. Um, and nowadays, we've got a lot more knowledge but given the time constraints in the general practice consultation, the process of thinking about those symptoms and putting uh, the, the picture into, uh, into perspective and trying to ascertain whether this is a, a one-off consultation or whether it's part of a pattern is what um, we try and teach doctors to do. So if you've prescribed something for a patient, be it an antibiotic for a presumed chest infection, and that person comes back in a short period of time, Think of another diagnosis. Ask about the pattern of the symptoms. And if they're getting recurrent respiratory symptoms, coughing, wheezing, shortness of breath, in, uh, under different circumstances, so uh, uh, where they've been exposed to trigger factors, like, for example, infections, and response to treatment, and try and put that together, plus ensure that a diagnosis of airflow obstruction is confirmed, because that's fundamental with asthma. So try and confirm that there has been um, airflow obstruction and that it's reversible. Because there are many diseases where people can suffer from respiratory symptoms and not have a prime respiratory condition. So for example, people with heart disease might have um, respiratory symptoms. Somebody with heart disease could present with coughing or shortness of breath or even wheezing. So it does need to be put in, in context with the history, the clinical examination, maybe further investigations, in particular um, tests for airflow obstruction. And these can be done over time to demonstrate variability. You're hugely experienced in the diagnosis and treatment of asthma. You must have seen thousands of patients over the years. What would your advice be to fellow health professionals if they have a patient and they have doubts 
about the diagnosis or they're not in terms of the treatment responding? Well, first of all, I think a general principle in, in medicine is if, if a doctor's in doubt regarding the diagnosis or the management of a patient, ask for help. Refer the patient for um, specialist help. Now, that might be a specialist nurse or a consultant at different levels in secondary or in tertiary care. So that's the first thing. Now, having diagnosed asthma um, based on the history uh, with or without uh, airflow, variable airflow obstruction, if a person's been put on treatment and they're not responding to the treatment, one should go back again to the, the question of, is the diagnosis correct? And keep going back to that question because the diagnosis is wrong. We're treating the person with treatment which has potential side effects. And if the diagnosis is wrong, it could have disastrous effects because we're treating the wrong condition. So always go back to the basic principles. Is the diagnosis correct? And if it is correct and the person is not responding, you might need to modify treatment. And so the, the key message is really if you've diagnosed asthma and put somebody on treatment, monitor them after you've started the treatment. So three months time, say one to three months after initiating treatment, review the patient with the question, was the diagnosis correct? So has the person responded? Is their lung function improving? And are they suffering less from symptoms? If not, go back to the beginning again, reconsider the diagnosis, and if still in doubt, refer the patient to a specialist where they've got more specialized techniques for confirming the diagnosis, but also it helps to have another pair of eyes and ears um, investigating the patient to confirm that your initial suspicions or diagnosis was correct. So far we've talked about the general practice experience for those who may or may not be diagnosed with asthma. What is the role of the specialist? The specialist is really there to give an opinion. So to put all the facts together and decide on a diagnosis and on an appropriate management strategy. And um, specialists vary because in hospitals, certainly in the United Kingdom and many other hospitals, um, we've got physicians for adults and pediatricians for children who are in the main generalists. So they have similar problems to the ones that general practitioners have, particularly pediatricians. There are lots of diseases they've got to treat and, and focus on. And so, for example, in the asthma death studies, lung function um, was not done very often. And sadly, I've been involved in three inquests as an expert witness where children have suffered from multiple attacks, one last week, in fact. In, uh, uh, the inquest was held in January 2019 on a child who died in 2017. This child had 48 asthma attacks treated in a hospital and in primary care, and lung function was only measured on two occasions. And just to give an example, where people will base their treatment on presenting features and a past history, and not use their uh, additional clinical skills. And this is across the board in primary, secondary, and tertiary care, where the investigations to diagnose airflow obstruction are not done. That is a, a shocking indictment of the lack of communication between partners within this field. It's quite shocking to hear this, Dr. Levy. Let's talk about the role of Gina in communicating what needs to be done and what people need to including patients, including GPs, including specialists, 
Do enough people know about GINA and its recommendations and guidance? Some countries use GINA as their prime source of information for management of asthma, as their manual, so to speak, for managing asthma. There are a number of countries that will develop their own guidelines for management of asthma. Some countries have a number of different guidelines. I mean, the UK has got two sets of guidelines which are contradictory, which doesn't help. The GINA document is really a strategy document. GINA provides a basis for a, a generalist to understand essential components of the diagnosis, management, and ongoing follow-up in the management of asthma. In essence, GINA is really focused on providing simple, easy-to-understand diagrams and text, which is explanatory, which uh, the generalists can use in their day-to-day -day management of asthma. GINA is 25 years of age. There have been some incredible developments over the last quarter of a century, but let's look ahead to the next 25 years or so. What are your hopes? My personal hopes are that GINA becomes the standard for um, management of asthma and the standard reference text. It is referred to in many studies, but I think we've got a, a group of experts in the scientific committee who formulate the contents of GINA based on scientific data. The GINA Science Committee looks at evidence um, twice a year, so it's up to date with an annual revision of the document. And there's no other guideline or strategy document in the world that provides up-to-date scientific evidence and methods and ways of applying that evidence into daily practice. So the guidelines exist, but the important thing is that people actually get to read them and understand. How can GINA make sure that happens? GINA has a dissemination implementation committee, which I chair at the moment, and our aim is really to get the messages out as widely as possible. Hence, these podcasts are one of the ways in which we're trying to disseminate the information and ensure that essential information is understood and utilized by generalists. Of course, the document is there for reference, and these podcasts are really aimed at directing people to the main documents. We've got a number of shorter versions, pocket documents and pocket guides, which can be used as well. However, the main document provides the key information that, in my view, everyone managing asthma should be referring to. Dr. Mark Levy, thanks for joining us today. Thank you. The GINA website has a suite of up-to-date, evidence-based documents, booklets, videos, an implementation toolkit and other useful information. If you're a healthcare professional interested in GINA resources for your hospital or healthcare system, or if you have ideas for new resources, please email us via our website, ginaasthma.org. Thank you for listening and for sharing in our mission to reduce the global burden of asthma.